turn your Bible as we continue our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke. Today we find ourselves in the 12th chapter of Luke's Gospel with a sermon entitled, God or Greed. Luke chapter 12, God or Greed. Her story is our story, or at least I know it's my story too. And it sounds a whole lot like the story of the rich man found here in Luke 2 in the parable told by Jesus. What do you and I and the rich man and Alice Clee all have in common? We're all smothering ourselves in greed. The report went out that Alice Clee, age 68, was missing, but eventually... The new Milford woman was found dead in her own apartment. Her mummified body was actually hidden beneath clothing and clutter that concealed her body for months during the earlier searches. Due to her prolonged absence, her landlord finally got permission to clean out the clutter of her apartment. It was just by happenstance that a handful of hair was sticking out from her heap of hoarding Police had already searched the apartment numerous times, but she had so much stuff in there, they really could never get into every single room. But there she was, somewhere in the plethora of piles of stuff. Alice Clee, you might say, was literally, literally buried in her bunch of stuff. Her greed became inadvertently her grave. We keep collecting because we don't think we have enough. One writer observed, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think about it or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, and worrying about what we do not have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet ever touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. By the time we go to bed, our heads are racing with a litany of what we didn't get done or what we didn't get to do that day. And then we go to sleep. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up with a reverie of lack, what we don't have, that internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity. It lives at the heart of all of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. Enough? Yet, outside of speaking about the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke about materialism more than any other topic. And of course, the kingdom of God is his overarching topic about everything that he preaches, the invasion of God's kingdom here on the earth, beginning with his presence when he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So if you take away the fact that the kingdom of God is the overarching thing, the reality is that money, materialism, is the number one topic of the sermons of our Lord 
Yet we'd just assume the preacher skipped this part of Luke when he goes through the book. In this story this morning, a brother, I'm supposing based on the culture, a younger brother comes to Jesus, seeking Jesus to be the judge to, to settle the inheritance squabble. He interrupts Jesus right there while he's teaching about the kingdom of God. What a rude reminder of how oblivious the average listener is when Jesus is saying, with my presence, heaven has invaded earth and the two are combining together for that ultimate kingdom. Yet he has something on his mind. Tell my brother, make my older brother share the inheritance with me. Jesus basically responds by saying, I will not preside over your greed. Without warning against greed, Jesus begins to tell one of the parables of Luke that we don't hear very much about. The parable about the rich fool. I was chaplain before I became pastor, and this occasion was at Methodist Hospital in Dallas. I was still a student in seminary working on the weekends for 24 hours as the sole chaplain in the hospital. And one of the jobs of the chaplain was to make sure that the legal next of kin received the personal effects of the dead. Here a man was, he just died in the emergency room. I was there with someone named Mary that I supposed to be his girlfriend. And since she wasn't the legal next of kin, they weren't actually married. I had to call the daughter who was the legal next of kin. And I said, going over some things with her, getting ready. And I said, now Mary wants to take the ring on your father's finger, is that okay? It's not okay, she replied. Mary has taken way too much already. You tell her when I get to the emergency room, that ring better be on my father's finger. I looked at Mary and I said, Mary, I can't let you take this ring off of his hand. I thought to myself later that evening, here's a dead man. The body is still warm. And we're fighting over a ring on the finger. I made a decision right then and there when it came time to settle my parents' accounts with my siblings, I would never argue over the possessions of the dead. My life would never be reduced to grasping at greed the possessions of the dead. It may be the older son's not a bad guy. This is a collectivism society, and so therefore the father is dead, and now he is in charge of the whole clan, and part of antiquity was keeping the family farm, keeping the land all together, and maybe by not divvying it out between himself, his two-thirds, and his younger brother's one-third, perhaps he's trying to keep the whole family farm together so he can take care of all the clan that is now resides under his dominion. I don't know. I do know what Jesus said, however. I'll have no part with this. I'll have nothing to do with being the arbiter over your greed. And then, then Jesus tells a story about greed. It's a story about a farmer. The farmer is rich. I'm so rich. I have so much. I, I know what I'll do. I, I'll tear down my little barns and I'll build bigger barns and then I'll have enough. And well, I'll just be set for life if I do that. The rich man thinks to himself. But God turns to the rich fool in the parable and says, you fool. He says, this very night, your life will be required of you. And then who will inherit 
your possessions. Seneca, who was a contemporary with Jesus, lived at the same time, philosophized, and it sounds a lot like Jesus. He lived at the same time. How stupid to plan out the years that lie ahead when you're not even master of tomorrow. What madness to start out with long-term hopes thinking, I'll buy, buy, I'll sell, I'll build, I'll lend, I'll make money, I'll make more, I'll gain possessions of honor. When I'm too old and too tired, I'll retire. Believe me, says Seneca, I tell you everything is unsure, even for the most fortunate. Believe me, Seneca says, everything is unsure, even for the most fortunate. You fool! Jesus says, tonight your life will be required and your stuff will mean nothing. So it is, the man or the woman who lays up earthly treasures. Somehow or another, we've not really bought in the idea that we are just stewards of a little bit of stuff or a brief time on life that we're really just passing through. Job 121 says, naked You've come to this world and naked you'll go. Ecclesiastes 8.8, the preacher says, as no one has power over the wind, Amarillo can agree with that, no one has power over the wind to contain it, no one has power over their time of death. You think about that. You've been there for the birth of a baby or there soon after the baby comes in the world absolutely naked with empty, empty hands. It's not long until that baby learns to say, trust me, mine, 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 that's mine. They do it in the nursery back there. You go back there, mine, mine, they're fighting over everything. Mine, mine, mine. At the end of the story, they got nothing in the end either, do they? We come in naked, we leave naked. We have nothing in our hands this hours. Every man dies empty-handed. The rich man in this story is self-centered. Greed makes us very self-centered. We want more. We want more for ourselves. We're not in the business of giving away in our hearts. And we cease to be stewards and we become hoarders gathering more and more for ourselves. Look at verse 17, what he says. What shall I do? Why don't you just kind of, I circled all the first person personal pronouns in here. Look at these first person pronouns. What shall I do? since I have no place to store up my crops. And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul. And that little bit of sense, 11 times he talks about himself. I, me, and mine. The real Patch Adams the doctor who was betrayed by Robin Williams in the popular Hollywood film says greed has infected our society and it's the worst of all infections. Madonna has said we live in a material world and I am a material girl. Our greed has even trickled down to the Native Americans. At least 10 of California's 39 gaming tribes Tribes of Indians that are allowed to participate in the gaming industry have kicked out members of the tribe, told them they don't have enough ancestral proof to qualify for membership or casino dividends. 
In fact, the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs can't intervene or help these Indians because each Indian tribe is considered a sovereign nation free to decide its own membership issues. The Indians are fighting among themselves now that they have the gaming money. What really tears me apart, says one tribal leader, is people saying, you're not an Indian. You don't belong to the tribe. Before the gaming, we were all Indians and we all belonged. Matt Franklin, vice chair of the Miwok tribe. But now that they're dividing the pot, you have to prove that you're an Indian. I want to say four things quickly about grief. First of all, possessions will not fulfill you. Possessions will not fulfill you. Jesus is trying to say that to the man in the story. Possessions will not fulfill you. Having more will not make you happy. The more Americans fill their lives with things, the more they tell pastors and therapists and friends and family, they feel empty inside. You watch this, the more toys you buy your children, the more they'll complain that they are bored. They are bored. That's a fact. Well, Jesus predicted all this 2,000 years ago when he said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but in the process loses his soul? We are losing our soul to material things. When Mother Teresa came to the United States to receive an honorary degree, she looked around and said, this is the poorest place I've ever been in my life. Now think of the places that Mother Teresa had been. The United States, she said, is the poorest place I've ever been in my life. She wasn't talking about economics or mutual funds or Wall Street or the ability to consume, says Robert Siepel. She was talking about the poverty of the soul that she found in the midst of the stuff here. Warren Buffett, and I'll paraphrase him when he says something like this. Before you try to keep up with the Joneses, let me tell you, I know the Joneses and they're not any happier than you are. Before you try to keep up with the Joneses, says Warren Buffett, let me tell you, I know the Joneses and I imagine he knows them really well. <laughs> And the Joneses aren't any happier than you are. Things will never satisfy. They won't bring us fulfillment. We all know that that's true, and yet we want bigger and better and newer and possessing and gadgets. And, well, we, we are fools and we fall for the trick every time. If I have this one more purchase, this one more thing, that will at last be the thing that makes me happy forever. The rate of clinical depression in the United States is 10 times what it was in 1945. Clinical depression is tenfold what it was in 1945. The year that the highest number of Americans said to the poll, I am very happy, the highest year was 1957. We felt richer then, yet we were poor in 1957. We have more than doubled the gross national product since 1957. And everybody has twice as much stuff than they did back then. But we don't feel affluent. We don't have a sense of well-being or happiness. So first of all, your possessions will not fulfill you. Secondly, your possessions will possess you. Your possessions will possess you. Buffett also said most people's biggest expense is interest, which comes from living beyond your means and buying things they think will impress others, which comes from insecurity. If you stay away from these, you will grow richer than most of your peers. Our possessions, at the end of the day, 
somehow end up possessing us, don't they? Stefan Linder, a Swedish economist, not a theologian, made the prediction all the way back in 1970. He said that buying more gadgets and more things will not yield us more free time. We will become the harried leisure class. Economic growth, said the Swedish economist, entails a general increase in scarcity of time. As the volume of consumption of goods increases, requirements for the care and maintenance of these goods also tends to increase. We build bigger houses, but now we have a bigger space to clean. We have a different car to wash. We have a boat we have to store for the winter, a television that needs repair. We have more decisions to make about spending and on and on he goes to say that the more we buy, the more we have, our possessions possess us. And everything we buy, all that stuff has to be cleaned and maintained and polished and adjusted and stored and refueled and tuned up and the list goes on and on. You ever put together one of those really large swing sets for your children? I did it once. I'll never, ever do it again. <laughs> you look at the big toy store and the thing would fill this stage and you go to pick it up and it's a box about this size. You know, how did they get that in this box? You spend literally days with all the screws and the nuts and the bolts and you put it together and you get to the end. You know what it says? Inspect and tighten screws and bolts weekly. <laughs> so now for the rest of my life, every week I got to come back here to the playground and tighten these screws or my kids will die. This is terrible. I've just relegated myself. I've taken away an hour of my week for the rest of my life with this swing set. The more we have, the more it costs. In fact, Juliet Shore says full-time American workers work one month more, 160 hours more than they did in 1969. And yet 95% of our workers say they wish they could spend more time with their families. We're building bigger and bigger barns and the barns suck us of our time. In fact, we become prisoners of our own possessions. Here's the third thing. Success is not by how much we accumulate, but rather how much we give away. Success is not measured by how much we accumulate, but by how much we give away. That was the mistake of the rich man. The story he thought about having bigger barns that would make him more success. We should not live to accumulate. We live to love, to share, and to generate goodness. Pastor Bruce Larson tells a story about a wealthy man who came into his office when he was pastoring in Seattle. The pastor was speaking about tithing and possessions and materialism like I am this morning. And the pastor said the, the best way to free yourself up from the life of greed is to prioritize your family's budget in such a way that you can be obedient and return a tenth to the church for God's work, for kingdom work, for missions and ministry to the church. The pastor began to cite research in the field of psychology that said that people who are givers are happier, they live longer, and they manage the rest of their money better and make more money because they have given away a portion, being reminded that God is the owner of all things. Well, a rich man came to see the pastor. He said, Pastor, I've been listening. You've been talking about giving and tithing a lot in your sermons, and you just need to know, I make a really, really, really lot of money. There is no way I can afford to tithe. That would be a huge chunk of cash. I, I just can't afford to do it because I make so much. 
And the pastor said, Larson said, well, let's pray about it. And uh, he let the man pray first. The man said, Lord, give me an open heart and an open hand and let me learn about generosity and giving. And after the rich man had finished his prayer, the pastor was more direct with his prayer. He said, Lord, I pray you'll reduce this man's income to a point that he feels like he can afford to tithe. (laughs) Think about that for just a moment, how odd it really, really sounds. Isn't that amazing? You think people who make a lot of money could more easily be able or afford to tithe. And they'd be so grateful that God had opened up the windows of heaven and chosen them for this blessing to be the steward over this income that they would pour out upon others. But in reality, congregations, the statistics go the other way. The, the higher the socioeconomic class of a congregation, the lower percentage of people who tithe. And the lower the socioeconomic makeup of the congregation, the more likely the members are to tithe. How can anyone be so miserly and stingy as to argue? I can't give because I have too much. That's what the man was saying. I can't give because I have too much. Your success is not determined by how much you store. Be grateful to God if he's blessed you with many possessions. He's given you a wonderful income that you can give a lot. Fourthly and finally, how do you know if greed has gotten a hold of you? I'll be candid. Have you adjusted your budget where you can be obedient and tithe to the church? If you've not so ordered your life, if you've gotten your house payments too big and your car payments too big and you live in such a way that the the giver of it all, the one who owns it all in your life, God cannot be honored with your tithe. You've been perhaps bitten by the greed bug. See, tithing isn't really about money. It's about our spiritual condition before God. If we're not saying yes to tithing, then perhaps we're saying yes to greed. Stories told of a man who took his son to McDonald's and he didn't want anything. He thought, I'll just have a few of my son's fries. A lot of you husbands experience that with your wives. They don't want a dessert. They'll just have a bite of yours. You know, it was kind of that, that theory. Uh, and so, so he takes his son, his son wants a large French fry. And so he, he, man doesn't get anything. And the man reaches over to get one of his son's fries. His son's a young son. And the son shouts out, no, these are mine. And dad had an internal discussion with himself. Does he not realize who bought all the fries? Does he not realize I got enough money in my wallet? I could buy 50 packs of large fries. I could bury this boy in fries if I (laughs) decided to. Does he not realize that? Does he not realize that he could anger me by not giving me those few fries that I could determine in my heart? I'll never buy him fries ever, ever again. Just the burger from now on, buddy. That's it. Does he not realize that these fries are only his because I have provided them? God is that father. And God has bought all the fries. God has given us all that we own. And so when it comes to our giving and our tithing, we shout, no mine. We forget 1 Chronicles 29, 14. 
that God is the giver of all we possess, even our own selves. We need you to tithe so we can conduct all the ministries, but the reality is you need to tithe for your own spiritual obedience. As much as it hurts us when you don't, it hurts you more. The reality is it's a spiritual issue. I want you to notice the last verse. So is the man, the man like the rich man in the parable, so is the man who lays up treasure for himself, but he's not rich toward God. But he's not rich toward God. The farmer stored the wrong kind of treasure in the wrong place in earthly barns, and he became spiritually bankrupt. What about you? What about me? Every time in Luke's gospel when Jesus says, hey, I got a story to tell you, it doesn't usually end well for us. And this one doesn't either. But it's part of his word. Let us pray. Oh God, give us your grace and your peace today. We're reminded that we're called into obedience. Not just with our our money, but with our time and our talent, that everything we have is to be tithed to you. And we'll remember that you're the maker of all things, the giver of all good gifts. You own the cattle on a thousand hill, and we are but stewards passing through. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.